Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This Tech Guy show was uh, broadcast originally on Saturday, May 21st, 2011, on the Premier Radio Networks. This is episode 771. Enjoy. Well, a good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the tech guy, and it's time to talk about computers, the internet, and cell phone thing, you know, those little doohickeys and doodads that have changed our life, the chips, the things my daughter says, Dad, turn it off, pay attention. I had a terrible dream last night, and it, 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 you know, we really do get sucked into these things, don't we? This, this was a very realistic dream. Uh... And, I, and it woke me up and it made me think, I was playing a game, you know, yeah, that is, I think it was probably even a cell phone game. It wasn't even like a Call of Duty or Halo or something, something really engaging. It was just, you know, just a little cell phone game. And you know how you get caught up in the game and you're, you know, you're at a level or whatever that you want. Oh, I, got, I, I just got to complete this level. And uh, my son was walking out the door. I don't know whether he was going to school or what. I, tonight's prom night, so maybe maybe it was tied into that. He was going out to the prom, and he said, bye, Dad. And I said, I didn't even look up. I said, bye, see you. And I, and I kind of looked out of the corner of my eye, and I saw kind of a disappointed look. But he just kept on going. And about five seconds later, it sunk in. My gosh, <laughs> what is this stupid game? <laughs> what am I doing? And so I ran, and there we were driving off. I you know, saw his head in the back of the car, driving off. And I hadn't said goodbye to him, and I thought, and I was, it was, it woke me up. Maybe we should all wake up. It's so uh, easy to get sucked into these things. And, you know, of course, the people who design them, I'm not, I mean, look, let's not, let's not cast blame. It's, it's, it's my fault. But let's also be honest. The people who design these things are brilliant. They, they know how to make something so compelling, so hypnotic. We've learned, haven't we? Yeah, it was like Toy Story 3. Maybe that was from Toy Story 3. <laughs> Maybe my dreams came from Pixar. <laughs> in any event, let's, let's, not, let's not analyze it too deeply. Uh, but in any event, I, I do think that these things are more and more addictive. Now, I'm not, I'm not one of those people who, uh, who says, get your kids off the Internet. It's bad for them. Or don't let your kids play video games. Uh, although I have had this debate, my my friend John C. Dvorak, who's a computer columnist and uh, an old coot like me, his kids are grown now. But uh, we uh, we debated for many years whether to let the kids play uh, video games unfettered. I always had a limit on the amount of we call it screen time the kids could have. That includes TV, computers, video games, and I can't remember what it was—an hour or two. At mo- I think it was an hour a night, which is what I, by the way, as a kid growing up. Even if the only screen was a 17-inch Sylvania in the corner, the same thing, one hour. You know, you could watch Batman and Half of Man from Uncle. Uh, but John always said, oh, no, let them, let them play it as much as they want. 
He never had any limits on how much the kids could play the games. And he later said, by the way, that they were extremely good drivers because they had played so many driving games. Had great reflexes, I guess, or maybe they knew the rules of the road better. Uh, you know, and I went back and forth. At one point, I started to realize that by making it such a limited thing, you're, you're making it more desirable, aren't you? You're making it like uh, you're adding value to it by, 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 by scarcity. It's pure economics. And, uh, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, if I just, I, I did a little experiment with my son. I said, maybe I just put a, I had said, I'll never put a video game machine in his room. I, I, he still doesn't have a TV in his room. Problem I have with a TV is you could turn it on, leave it on, it's just passive. But a video game, there's no point unless you're really interacting with it. So I figured, well, I'll put that in there. We'll see what happens. And, you know, he kind of lost interest. He played it a lot for the first few weeks. And then he went back to, you know, going outside and playing, playing lacrosse in the backyard and, uh, Hanging out with his friends, smoking cigarettes and singing doo-wop on the corner. Oh, no, that was me. Uh, and so it worked. He, he, you know, by not making it a scarce resource, he kind of got over it. And now when his friends come over, they maybe they'll play a little bit. But they're, it's not like they can't wait. Now, of course, it depends on the kid. There are kids. There are people like me, to be honest, who can't stop. You know, I, <laughs> I'm that guy in that dream who couldn't put the phone down. And many's the time, how, black, you know, there's many people talk about Crackberry addicts, people who have Blackberry phones who just spend the entire, have you been to a dinner with somebody who just can't look up? I was at a, uh, a breakfast place in San Francisco yesterday that was filled with 20, young 20-somethings, you know, co- either college kids or just out of college, just beginning their lives. And, then, you know, it's like straight out of friends. They're sitting at a big table. There's seven or eight of them, boys and girls, and half of them. We're staring into an iPhone. I was watching carefully almost the entire time. And I thought, that's kind of a shame. The other thing is the, rest- the restaurant was filled. You know the ding, ding sound that an iPhone makes when you've got a new text? I guess these guys never customize. That's just kind of a sign that they've kind of uh, absorbed this technology into their lives as part of their lives because they never customized it. It's just, it's, you know, it's the ding, ding sound. You know that sound. The restaurant was filled with it <laughs> every, every, every minute. Ding, ding. And then nobody even looks up. I'm going, wait a minute. Did I, where's my, did I get a text? <laughs> nobody even looks up. Oh yeah, you got a text. <laughs> I don't know what to think. You know, I'm not one of those people. I don't tell parents, get your kids off the internet. In fact, what I tell them is you've got to, you've got to work with your kids to understand limits, to understand appropriate use of the internet, to to get used to the idea that the internet is always there beckoning and that they need to kind of learn how to deal with it. Because if they don't learn now, they're going to grow up and they are going to be on the internet. And Facebook will be there begging them to check every 30 seconds to see if their friends are there. I just read a statistic that said something like 37% of people check their Facebook profile before their head lifts up off the pillow in the morning. They don't even... They don't even get up. They check their Facebook. I don't know. How do you do that? You reach over, get your phone, and your head on the pillow, lying on your back, you check your profile. Wow. <laughs> okay, yeah, I've done that. And now with the with the iPads and uh, tablets and, and phones, it's not so hard to do that without lifting your head off the pillow. Pretty interesting.
I don't know. You know, I don't I don't I don't have the answer. I'm curious. What do you think? Let's talk about it. 8888-ASK-LEO, 888-8275-536. You know what? I know I go fast with that number. and It's because, you know, I, I don't want to take forever saying the number, but if you go to techguylabs.com, which is our website, techguylabs.com, the number's there, the chat room link is there, the video and audio links, the notes from previous shows, all 770 of them, it's all there. Techguylabs.com, that's the easiest way to do it. Love that chat room. Sly Ferret, who's a regular in our chat room. Are you a mod? He's a mod. Is in studio with me today, which is kind of fun. Who, who's minding the Who's minding the fort? I guess we got plenty of other mods in there. Those moderators are so great. Without them, the chat room would quickly descend into a <laughs> into Mad Max and the Thunderdome. So Sly, I thank you for the work you do, and thanks uh, to our chief moderator Dan Illuminati's in there. I guess they've all taken uh, taken holy orders. We've got Father Dan. Oh, it's for Rapture Day? All right. They're, they're nervous. Are they hedging their bets? Are they taking Pascal's wager? Can we bowl, please? Hip Houdini, Life's a Zoo, Marmot Mick Nightflyer, Tech Zen, and Warp Holy. Apparently they're all saints and fathers. Now that's sacrilegious. <laughs> Uh, just so you know, that's the sense of humor in there. It's those, it's, you know those kids, the wiseacres in the back of the class. But I love it because I'll tell you what, if I, if I can't remember something or I need an extra answer, I just check down here in the chat room. So that link, if you'd like to volunteer to be my brain, externalized, is uh, techguylabs.com. 8888-ASK-LEO. Do you check your Facebook profile the first thing in the morning when you get up? Before your head even lifts off the pillow, what do you do to control your kids' usage, their screen time? What works for you? Let's talk. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. I can tell Kyle's at the controls. Always picking the good music, aren't you, Kyle? Leo Laporte, the tech guy. You know, I wasn't supposed to be here this weekend. I was uh, planning to go to France for a uh, summit on uh, Wednesday and Thursday that President Sarkozy convened, the EG8. It's a, it, well, The idea was it was an internet uh, gathering of people, uh, internet people like moi, because I do a lot of internet stuff. Uh, Jeff Bezos of Amazon, Bill Gates, uh, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook. The idea being uh, to to somehow craft a uh, white paper for the G8 summit, the meeting of the eight leaders of the developed nations, the most developed nations, uh, which is next week, uh, about Internet and the economy. And for personal reasons, I couldn't make it. I had my, my schedule wouldn't allow it. I had said yes, and I had to rescind my acceptance, which is just as well because U.S. Airways rescinded my <laughs> my flight. I, ch- I checked the flight that I would be take I would have taken yesterday, and it had been canceled. I don't know what I would have done. Thank you, U.S. Airways. <laughs> that's a good thing I wasn't going. I wasn't. Maybe that's why they canceled it. Ah, oh, Leah's not going. Let's just cancel the flight. 
But uh, I read an interesting article by uh, my friend Corey Doctorow, who was also invited. Corey is a fighter for freedom on the Internet. Used to be the uh, European director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Very active, very interested in preserving freedom on the Internet, as am I. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to go is to underscore the importance of a free, open, unregulated Internet for the future of every nation, not just the top eight the most developed eight, but for every nation, especially for the uh, smaller, less developed nations, especially. Uh, Corey said, you know, I'm not going to go, and I'll tell you why. Because this is a, this white paper is a whitewash. Sar- Nicolas Sarkozy, the president of France, is notorious for, in fact, wanting Chinese-style control on the Internet. Literally. He wants... France, the French government, and major uh, developed nations to censor the internet, to control the internet. To, uh, for instance, he supported and passed a three strikes law in France that if you're accused, not convicted, but accused three times of piracy by anybody in France, you're knocked off the internet forever. Ridiculous. And uh, and Corey said, "I'm not going to go because really this is Sarkozy's attempt to get." Uh, the internet community to back up what he is proposing, and and we just don't. Now I wanted to go because I would have I would have spoken strongly against it, but uh, Corey said I don't want to lend my name to that. So interesting. I'll follow that and I'll let you know next week what happens at the EGA summit. I'm sorry I couldn't be there. Uh, I was looking forward to it. Any chance to go to France in the spring is is <laughs> is welcome. Eighty eight uh, eighty eight. Ask Leo. That's the number. Our first call of the day is Tom in San Diego, California. Hey, Tom. Hey, how you doing, Leo? I'm well. How are you? Excellent, excellent. A little uh, frustrated. I uh, recently. You must have a computer. I know that comes with. <laughs> I've been doing frustrated and computers. They go together like soup and sandwich. They certainly do. Well, this is more of a tech support issue than a computer issue, but maybe you can uh, shed some light on it or tell me what to do. Uh, I bought this laptop a few months ago, went through my um, uh, free trial for the McAfee antivirus, and uh, also preloaded as a... Hello? Hello? Hi, sorry about that. Um, I'm on my cell phone, so we're kind of cut out for a moment. Anyway, um, I also seem to have a Norton online storage... Um, promo uh, on the computer. Uh, the symbol is on my desktop, but I've never I've never done anything with it. Anyway, when I signed up to buy the the forty dollars service uh, extension on the McAfee a couple months ago, when I keyed it in, I missed one uh, key, so I was off by one letter on my email. So it came out wrong, and of course, it couldn't access anything because it's not my email. So I did contact McAfee. They clarified that, but I'm still getting error messages popping up constantly, telling me that my subscription is is no longer active. You know, you know, I can't help you with that. Uh, that's something you have to get McAfee to to help. I don't know exactly what I would do to fix that. Um, I have to tell you that uh, I'm not a fan of the McAfee antivirus. I don't, uh, you know, these freebies that you get on uh, computers, and HP is notorious for loading these suckers up, but the, a lot of companies do this now because they get paid. They make money on it, frankly. It's just an ad. So the Norton storage, the McAfee antivirus, the 
the you know the temporary uh, or or you know free trial offers. It's junk. It's junk. There's a website called, I can't remember what it's called, but you know, remove the junk from my computer.com. And, and it actually is a program that will uninstall all this stuff. The first thing I do, I, well, the truth is I don't buy computers from these people, but when, if I, when I did, first thing I would do is remove everything like that. In fact, I think Dell offers a, you know, you pay an extra amount of money, I guess the money they would have made from the ads that they would have sold, and you can get it without that junk on it. So I'm not a fan of McAfee. Uh, you paid him the 40 bucks. I guess you might as well get it working. But uh, frankly, it's a, it's a lousy antivirus anyway. Um, you know that our advertiser, uh, Nod32 from ESET, is my favorite. It's the one I would recommend. They do have a 30-day free trial. If I were you, I'd, I'd say forget the 40 bucks. Completely uninstall uh, McAfee. And by the way, to do that, you probably aren't going to be able to use the ad remove programs. Or I guess they now call it programs and files. But you... You'll you'll have to uh, do that and then download an additional removal tool from McAfee because they don't want you to remove it. Norton's the same way. Get it off the system and uh, and get some decent security software. You might call McAfee and ask for a refund. Maybe you can get your money back. If not, uh, I just I just blow it off. You don't want it. You know, we recently I've been recommending for a long time Microsoft Security Essentials, which is the freebie. That Microsoft offers, because I know some of you are too cheap to buy, <laughs> to buy a commercials program. Uh, so if you're, if you're going to do a free one, this is the one I had been recommending. And I just saw Consumer Reports dinged it, saying it missed a number of viruses and recommended, I can't remember, did they recommend Avast or Avira, another, another freebie. Um, let me say this about that. You cannot uh, really accurately, in my opinion, review antiviruses, and certainly not an organization like Consumer Reports, which is just doesn't have the expertise to do it. PC Magazine used to do it in their PC Mag Labs, and let me tell you, that was a complicated, elaborate setup. And even then, the problem is that an antivirus, uh, antiviruses are tuned to work with these canned tests. No test can really test the effectiveness of an antivirus in the wild. So, I'm not sure I, I believe the Consumer Reports ding uh, against Microsoft Security Essentials. I, as far as I know, it's still fine. But understand this, no matter what, even if you use Nod32, which is absolutely the best, and I'll, I'll, I'll stand by that, uh, it's, the antivirus itself is not enough. It's you. That's the most important thing. So what you have to do is really change your behavior, not accept files from strangers. Make sure you uninstall those updates. And I was going to say Windows updates. No, it's not just Windows uh, the big story of the week is a Mac Defender uh, malware on the Macintosh side that's just ripping through the uh, Mac community. Install those updates. Make sure your system is up to date. That's the most important. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by my internet service... No, I'm sorry. It is 
but you know, I'm I really it's also brought to you by Carbonite.com. It's backup done right. You gotta back it up to get it back, so do it right. With Carbonite, try it free for two weeks right now. No credit card needed, just my name, Leo. C A R B O N I T E Carbonite a dot a com. John calling from somewhere out there. Where are you calling from, John? Hi, uh, Leo. Um, yeah, in my area here, I have to use Verizon uh, Wireless for my Internet, so I'm limited to 5 gigabytes per month. I really would like to use the, the uh, Nod32 thing for Mac. Is that going to seriously, uh, you know, uh, eat up uh, my uh, my uh, gigabyte allowance? I have to... No, 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 no. You, it, it, um, virus definitions are small to begin with, and because there is only a handful of viruses for the Mac, those definitions are not very big. Um, it'd be a good idea if you could down, you know, if if the the program itself is a, maybe a few hundred megabytes. I guess yeah, I don't think it's anything to worry about. Really, where you're going to hit the five gig limit is streaming video, Netflix, for instance, that kind of thing. Netflix can be a gigabyte an hour. Yeah, I understand that because see, I looked into, I thought about doing Carbonite, but that if that thing runs all, you cannot do that. No, you need to have true broadband to use something like Carbonite. Okay. It wouldn't make any sense. Five gigabytes, you'd, I mean, how much backup do you have? Even if you had 20 gigabytes, it's gonna, <laughs> that'll eat up your five gigabytes four months running. Exactly right. Um, yeah. only- really, five gigs, because, you, by the way, this is not a bad solution. A lot of people use the you know three or four G cell bandwidth as their, as their entire internet service, and it's fine. But really, you should limit yourself you know, to emails, surfing. Uh, and and be really careful about things like streaming uh, video. I don't think uh, an antivirus, uh, the signature downloads are going to be a significant issue at all. Okay, thank you. That's all I needed to know. I appreciate that. You're welcome, John. And you're getting, you know, Verizon now, especially with the 4G, you're getting pretty good speeds. I just got a Verizon, and I haven't played with it yet, but a Verizon uh, 4G card. The problem is where I live in in Northern California, kind of a rural area, we don't have 4G yet. Um, so I can't test it. I do have a, a T-Mobile phone. You know, T-Mobile, much to the consternation of Verizon and Sprint and AT&T, claims that it has 4G data as well. And uh, all the other guys say, that's not 4G, it's just fast 3G. <laughs> well, I, to which I would respond, by the way, they're not 4G either. They're just, it's a newer technology, but it's not true 4G. 4G has a definition. You can look it up on Wikipedia. And I think it's 100 megabits download per second. None of these guys are more than eight or nine. And, you know, the, quote, 4G from T-Mobile, I get very consistently uh, three megabits down and one megabit up. Now, that wasn't so long ago. I would have been thrilled to have that for uh, my home service. That's fine for a, a smartphone. That's fine for a smartphone. I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. Thank you, Mac Wright and Slayer Dork in our chat room. 4G is 100 megabits while moving and a gigabit if standing still. Now, you can understand why Verizon isn't going to do true 4G on their LTE network. Let's see. It's a gigabit per second. That means in eight seconds, nine seconds, you use up the five gig cap. I'm sorry, a minute. It would take a minute. If you were downloading at that speed. So it's kind of meaningless to say, well, we're actually, you know, our LTE technology is true 4G if they cap it to such a slow speed that it, that it's not much faster than the 
false 4G. In fact, in many cases, it's, it's slower than T-Mobile's 4G, mostly because Verizon has far more customers. AT&T has far more customers. And uh, T-Mobile, I love going around with T-Mobile. Nobody ever, <laughs> I'm never competing with anybody. I'm the, I'm the only guy who uses it. And remember that your speed, your cell phone speed, is, it has everything to do with how many other people are on that cell site. So, John, you know, if, if you're in an area, he's in Montana, I think, where if you're in an area where uh, the, the 3 or 4G works and there's not a lot of population, you, you may be getting the best possible Internet connection over that uh, wireless connection. The only limitation is this, is this uh, cap. And, boy, you know, everybody's putting caps on now. Five is so low, but it's, you know, they figure, well, what is he going to do on a cell phone? I'd love to get, all, get rid of all caps or give me the option of paying a little more for more bandwidth. I'd do that. Tier it. I'd do that. And then that way you solve the problem. I don't think these bandwidth caps really are about bandwidth hogs. If they were, they would just say, well, we'll have a special bandwidth hog account. You pay twice as much, you get all the data you want or something like that. But they don't. And the reason they don't is it's not about bandwidth hogs. That's what they'd like you to think. Oh, we're protecting you against those few who eat so much data. What they're really doing is protecting themselves against Netflix. We just saw this this week. Netflix is now the number one use of the Internet. I think 40% of Internet traffic now is Netflix streaming movies. It's huge. It's a huge success. Uh and as a result, now you can do it, by the way, on many Android phones. So people are watching on their phones, they're watching it on their uh, tablets, and they're watching on their computers. And, of course, they're using Netflix on their big screen TVs. I do that all the time. And that's really what scares Comcast and Verizon and AT&T. That's what really scares them. They don't want you watching Netflix movies. So they put these caps out because they know, well, eventually, people are everybody's going to be doing this. We've got to stop it. We're going to knock that off. Knock it off. Get off of my bandwidth, you kids! 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. Kevin in Ladera Ranch, California. Hi, Kevin. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. How are you today? Fantastic. How are you? Good. It's nice talking to you again. I talked to you a while back. Uh, we, we were having issues with that uh, Google listings from our website. And yes. a lot since then. Um and, you know, I've been in the wireless business forever. And when you were talking about that AT&T and T-Mobile merger a month ago, it broke my heart because I'm so yeah. confused about these utilities and these monopolies. And, you well, know, you know when, you, when you see that, that one of the commissioners of the FCC, a woman who voted for the Comcast-NBC merger, which talk about a monopoly, uh, she approved it. And then a month or two later, takes a job at Comcast to lobby for them. You just have to think, this thing is so corrupt. You're right. I think, well, we'll see. I mean, it hasn't been approved yet, an AT&T T-Mobile merger. I suspect it will because there are four mobile phone companies in the U.S. And that's, you know, I mean, not considered, you know, that's too many to be a true monopoly. It is kind of an oligopoly. And you know, it's obvious these guys collude. All their fees and services are so similar. They're obviously, if not actively colluding, looking over each other's shoulders saying, what are you charging? Okay, I'll charge that. Uh, so, yeah, I think it is bad. I think it's bad. The fewer the carriers, the worse it is. And now Sprint's saying, well, if, a- if AT&T t- buys T-Mobile, we're going to have to sell out too. 
And the reason is these it, these these also ran cell phone companies, Sprint and T-Mobile, just can't compete with the juggernauts that are AT&T and Verizon. Uh, but I love having a T-Mobile phone, as I said. And I and you know because T-Mobile is a, is a uh, also ran, they have more aggressive pricing. They were the last self company to still offer uh, 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 unlimited data. I, I don't think they do anymore. I mean, it's, it's good. The competition is good. We want that. Now we're seeing that AT and T is systematically overcharging up to twenty million Americans who use their iPhone or iPad to access data on the go. A lawsuit alleges the phone giant routinely overcharges between 7 and 14%, sometimes as much as 300%. Um, the lawyer who's, who's heading the suit says it's like a rigged gas pump. You know, you're paying for more than you're getting. So uh, these guys these guys get away with murder. And to allow this merger, I think, is a very bad thing. It's bad for us as consumers. It really is. We need the competition. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. We're talking about uh, how mad the cell phone companies make us. Now we see that uh, according to a lawsuit, and, and, and a fairly credible lawsuit at this, you know, a lot of these class action suits, I, I just, I mock. This one seems fairly credible. They, they, they tested they measured, and you can do this with the proper equipment, how much bandwidth the phone was using. They would just watch the packets fly, and they meter it as it's going out. And systematically, AT&T overcharged by 7 to 14%. Of course they did. How, how would you know? How could you? AT&T says, oh, you know, they don't measure it the same way we do. Well, I know that because, you know, two years ago I was in China with an iPhone, and I was smart. I purchased... A, an international data plan. You know, you can buy that from AT&T as you travel. I bought 100 megabytes for 100 bucks. It wasn't cheap. And then I, the iPhone, like most phones, has a, um, a meter, how much data you've used. So I watched very carefully. When it got to 99 megabytes, I, I turned off data. I just turned it off. And I was going to go home in a couple of days. I had Wi-Fi. It was fine. Got home, called AT&T. They said, oh, no, you had, uh, I can't remember what it was. I think it was like 250 megabytes used. I said, what? What are you talking about? I, I, w- I was using the iPhone. I, you told me. I looked in your FAQ. Watch your usage on the iPhone. They said, well, uh, yes, well, that was, you shouldn't have been using the iPhone's measurements. You should have been using my AT&T wireless, our particular application. That's more accurate. Yeah, probably because it adds 14% to every bit that's going out. Yeah, well, that's, that's the, that's, they've got their thumb on the scale. They did me a favor, though. It was very kind of them. They said, well, here's what we'll do. <laughs> we'll charge you for the extra 50. And it's expensive. I can't remember what it was, but it's, it's not cheap. And it was like another 250 bucks. And then the extra 100, because I had 150 over, the extra 100, we'll just keep that subscription for the 100 megabytes for another month, and we'll charge it to that. 
So you'll only owe us $350 extra. And you know how suckered I am? I thanked them. I said, oh, thank you so Because it was going to be like a thousand. Oh, thank you, AT and T. You only overcharged me by three hundred fifty bucks. Thank you. I'm so grateful. You guys are the best. I love you guys. Kathy in L.A. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Kathy. Hello, Leo. Thank you so much for taking my call. Ah, thanks for calling. I really learned a lot from you. I have a question. I'm, I need a new phone. I currently have a Trio 755 by Palm. Wow. Time for a new phone. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. Yeah. And that was a great phone about, you know, I don't know, 100 years ago. <laughs> I know. The guys at the Verizon store said, I don't think we can transfer your contacts. Your phone's too old. <laughs> we don't know what the hell. What is that? Well, it basically was a Palm. Those trios were great. I loved them. It, I loved it, and that's why I didn't get rid of it, but it's, but it's time. So yeah. to either, I looked at the Droid Incredible 2, and I looked at the iPhone. And, and all of my friends say, get the iPhone, get the iPhone. And I'm yeah. not sure. Your friends are right. I am an Android fan. I use Android. If you're a geek, you'll prefer Android because it's more open. You can do more with it. Uh, you can customize it more. It really lends itself well to messing around with the phone. Okay. But I if, you, if you've been using a Trio, <laughs> you're not into messing around with the phone. You're, you're practical. You're practical. I could tell. You want to get something done. And I think the iPhone, I think you're going to love the iPhone. First of all, it's a huge step forward. But, um, but, it, but also, it's just, it's, it's simpler than Android. And I think, for, yeah, yeah. Because I love the, don't, but don't get me wrong. In fact, I don't, I have an iPhone. I have two phones I carry. One's an iPhone and one's a Droid, or an Android, rather. Um, I use a T-Mobile uh, G2X, which I love. But I'm a geek. I want to mess with the phone, you know? You don't want to. I, I use my phone. I use it for work. I use the calendar, then the phone, then the camera. I mean, that's currently Perfect. How iPhone I 4 has a, has a superb camera and a much wider array of photography apps than the Android uh, phones. Although Android's catching up, but, but still, a- a- Apple is a you know, the uh, gold standard in that. Uh, g- the calendar is great. Do you use a Mac at home or Windows? No, I, I use Windows. Yeah. I mean, uh, calendar, you know, both both phones will use Google Calendar, which is probably what you should do is if you're using Outlook, you should have Outlook synced to Google. And then when you log into your Google account on the iPhone and the, the phone store will do this for you, it'll automatically stay in sync with Outlook uh, via Google Calendar. Do I then need to? So now all my stuff obviously is in Palm. I need to. Tra- I need to first transfer it to Google or transfer it to Outlook. You could do either. Are, are you going to use Outlook? Um, I'll use whatever you tell me to use. Well, if you ha- if you have Microsoft Office already, uh-huh. um, I you know personally I don't use a desktop calendar uh, program. I just use the Google Calendar. I find it's great, uh, and because it's on the it's on the cloud, when I change it on my phone. It changes it automatically, both on the web and then when I look at it, it works. But I think you probably are going to want to, in fact, I think this is how you have to do it, export your Palm desktop to Outlook as an intermediate step. Okay, and then go from Outlook to Google? Yeah. And Google makes a free Outlook to Google program. Okay. And I can find that, I'm sure, on the internet. Oh, yeah. Google will help you do the whole thing. But I I think uh, the other thing you could do, Dr. Mom is telling me that you can... um, also, just export from the Palm desktop to a file that you can then import in Google. You might want to 
massage the file a little bit before you then sync up the phone. The nice thing about using Google is that you'll log into your Google account on any phone, mm-hmm. Android or iPhone, and it automatically keeps it in sync over the air. Uh, and if you make a change to your calendar on either the desktop, the internet, or the phone, it, it syncs to everywhere. And I find that very convenient, very nice. So essentially, when I go on my desktop now and I look at my Palm calendar, I would now be going on my desktop and looking at a Google calendar. Yeah, or you, you can have Google go to Outlook or any other calendar program as well. But Google you know, is, I think, a very a handy intermediate place to store your, your calendar information. As you get multiple computers or multiple devices or whatever, it's just it's always accessible. Everybody supports it. Okay, and the iPhone is the, is the phone to get. Thank you. Yeah, I think for you it is. I mean, I you know every time I I make a recommendation like that, I'm trying to you know reach out through the airwaves and grok what you really want. Right. And I think if somebody who's been using a Trio for so long, it would be a safer, better step to go to an iPhone. You know what? You're you will call me in in, in you might be some pain at first. You'll call me in two months and say, thank you. I love this. You got it. I will. Leo, thank you so much. for. Thanks, Kathy. All right. Thanks. My pleasure. Yeah, I think that's what that's generally what happens. My wife uses an iPhone. I like the iPhone. The iPhone is about as easy to use as you can get. It has a huge variety of uh, applications. I, just, just from a political point of view as a geek, and because I like to mess with it, I like the idea of choice. I like the fact that there's, you know, a hundred different kinds of handsets you can buy that run Android. I like there's all sorts of customizations. I like it that you can root it, that, that Google encourages you to root it, which means you can modify and get applications from other places. I, I, I just like the choice that the, uh, the Android platform offers, but I think for most people, choice is actually complexity, and they don't want it. They don't want it. Uh, somebody's pointing out in the chat room, and it's true, Geo 456, that the Windows Phone 7, the new Microsoft Windows Phone, is also a very good first smartphone because it's even simpler than an iPhone. But I think it's so limited in the kinds of apps it offers and the things it can do. I, I think an iPhone is a good choice. Well, you know, we have a lot of data points that say people who move to the iPhone are happy, aren't, aren't don't we? Hey, one thing I want to talk about before we get to our next call, we got a call coming up in, uh, in just a second from Robert in uh, Upland, California, wants to ask about the new Merge, which is the New uh, WebOS phone from HP. But before we uh, talk about that, and I do have lots to say, I want you to tell me what you use a computer for. And then I can uh, recommend one that offers you the best value for your money, right? That's what I do. Or phone, or whatever. But what about the pictures? The other impossible-to-replace files on that computer? What about them? What are they worth? How do you place a value on those? I'm telling you, they're priceless. I know. You can replace a computer anytime, but a computer crash or a virus could instantly destroy your data and you might never get it back. That's why backup is so important. I talk about it all the time. And frankly, if you're going to use a backup solution, you've got to have two things. One, it's got to be automatic. You can't have to remember to do it because you won't. It should be automatic. It also should back it up off-site, somewhere away from your computer, so that if the worst happens, fire, flood, earthquake, tornado, tsunami, whatever, your data is still safe. And that's why I use Carbonite. That's why I put Carbonite on my daughter's computer when she went to college. On my wife's computer, she doesn't even know. Because I know that, that failure is going to happen, and then I know I can say, I can be the hero. Hey, don't worry. It's all safe. I backed it up with Carbonite. Try it right now for your PC or Mac. Anytime, anywhere, access of all your personal data from your internal hard drive, just $59 a year. Less than 5 bucks a month. That's a heck of a value. And free for the first 15 days at Carbonite.com when you use my name, Leo. If you decide to buy, use Leo again, you'll get two months free. 14 months for the price of 12. Ah, out of time. Robert, hang on. We will talk 
about the merge and other phones when we come back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, how are you today? Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. That's me. I'm the guy who does the computer thing on the radio. You, perhaps you've heard of me. Perhaps your friends have mocked me. Yes, I'm your worst nightmare. A geek with his own radio show. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no. I'm a normal guy. I'm a normal guy. I just play a geek on the radio. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's my number. 888. And this is toll-free in the U.S. But if you're listening outside the U.S., that's good news, too, because you could use Skype out to call. It wouldn't cost you anything. So it's plus one for our international callers, 888-827-5536. That uh, translates to 8888-ASK-LEO. Or just go to techguylabs.com. That's the website. It's a good thing to go, to, to look at, actually. Partly because it's such a work of art. It looks like it was designed in 1976. I know, I know, and I'm talking with our great syndicate of the Premier Radio Networks about uh, jazzing it up a little bit. But you know, for all of its ugliness, it at least is functional. Every show has a page there. Every page from 771 shows has show notes done as best we can as I speak, so you don't have to remember links. There's also a link to a, uh, a chat room, which is another great way to get answers. Just click the chat link. Uh, there are uh, links to every show, as I said, audio archives, uh, station lists, past shows, all of that stuff. I mean, this is, you know, hey, it's functional, okay, kids? I know it looks like it was designed by a, a sixth grader in a, in a HTML class, but it gets the job done. It's very text-heavy. You know, in some way, I'm kind of old-fashioned um, because text, the nice thing about text is very searchable. Very easy to find. You can use the Google to search it, of course, but it has its own search function built in. And um, and the idea being that you've got a lot of shows, 770 shows. All you have to do is, you know, enter the show number and you can go to any show. So you can go way back to 001, the very first show I did. Actually, uh, I guess it's just show one, no zeros. And uh, And you'll see that that was recorded. January 3rd, 2004. And, uh, <laughs> and, the, and yeah, we were talking about um, a cool skin for Windows XP, ringtones for the new Motorola cell phone, <laughs> looking for a Sony digital camera. These are the things we were talking about seven years ago. It's not so different. I mean, we're not talking the Motorola T720 anymore, admittedly. Uh, <laughs> Inexpensive wireless networks, using homemade CDs in a car stereo, inkjet refills. Oh, thank gosh, I don't do that anymore. 
the Microsoft Windows XP hotfix that slowed everything down. Recovering a damaged hard drive, you know, it hasn't turned, hasn't changed too much. Really hasn't. <laughs> Look at that GPS device, though, from 1970, 19, or sorry, 2004. It looks like it's 1974. 8888-ASK-LEO. That website is techguylabs.com. Uh, and uh, Robert is on the line, our next caller, from Upland, California. Hey, Robert, Leo Laporte here. Yeah, good afternoon, Leo. Great program. Really enjoyable. Thanks for hanging on. Chatter is asking, isn't obsolete information like that clogging the web, Leo? No, I think there's plenty of room. <laughs> think of the web as the world's largest closet that's easily searched. I think there's plenty of room for it. In fact, there's no such thing as obsolete information. So what can I do for you, Robert? Yeah, Leo, uh, I've been looking for an HTC Merge. I, uh, I'm a Verizon customer, and I know Altel released it, and I keep hearing rumors that Verizon's going to release it, but I can't find it anywhere. Any yep. information on the phone? Uh, this is, I'm very excited about this, and I hope, that you, um, I hope that you get one and review it for me. Um, I can't seem to find one. Yeah. So let me just see. I'm looking at htcmerge.com, which is a forum. It says May 13th, merge goes on sale with Verizon resellers. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. Now, what, now I, wait a minute. Now, I got this wrong. I thought the merge was the uh, WebOS phone, but no, it's an Android phone, isn't it? It's a slider. That is correct. It's, it has a physical keyboard on it, which is what I'm looking for, and they're making fewer and fewer phones with the actual physical keyboard. Yeah, and this is kind of, uh, the only thing against this phone is it really feels like yesterday's phone. It, it's, um, it's a small screen, low resolution, 800 megahertz processor. Uh, it is running an Froyo, which is Android 2.2, which ain't so bad. But you're right, you don't have a whole lot of choices, um, especially on Verizon. I like the G2 on T-Mobile, but you want to stay on Verizon, right? That is correct. Is there anything yeah. in the offing that will have an actual physical? Yeah, the next Droid, we're hearing a lot about the Droid. Uh, let's see, there's the Droid 2, and then there's going to be a, a next generation Droid. The Droid has always had a keyboard, oh, and it, they're a little bit higher end uh, machines. Sure, which is, a, uh, you know, I, I don't use it all that frequent for what I need, you know, the. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's very easy for us in this business to get all excited about the latest, greatest, newest, fastest, when maybe it's not something that you absolutely need. The Droid 3, I believe, yes, the Droid 3 will have a slider as well. So I wouldn't buy the Droid 2 at this point since I think the Droid 3 will be uh, released imminently, and that's going to be a 4 inch, we believe, 4 inch screen. That's we don't know that. Another thing I'm trying to get away from is, you know, all the newer phones are really, really large. I actually. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, Emerge might be fine. I mean, it's certainly um, compact. It is, in in some ways, looks like last year's uh, Android phone. But you don't necessarily don't be don't be fooled by us tech guys who say, "Well, I'm not." I would because see, I wouldn't buy a phone that didn't have dual processors. In fact, I'm really excited because I I hear we're, <laughs> that Amazon's going to release a quad processor tablet. This year, wow. you don't need. That's just nuts. You, I don't need that, but I. But I, you know, it's so you don't be don't be uh, swayed by me. Get it sounds like the merge is the right thing for you. It is supposedly coming out. I would check maybe not the Verizon stores, but the Verizon third party stores. Right, I've checked Best Buy and a couple of independents, and they don't have them, huh? Buy it as well. Huh? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, uh, HTCMerge.com is the forum. 
that's where I'd go. One of the great things about uh, cell phones these days is there's so many enthusiasts. It's it it is actually probably is that a contradiction? To say actually probably <laughs> it is actually I believe the hottest area right now in te- in uh, in digital technology it is cell phones. This is where all the development, all the excitement, all the innovation is happening, and uh, it's certainly where all the enthusiasts are. So every phone now has its own website or two or forum and htcmerge.com i would go there these guys are so focused on the merge obviously that they're going to know what all the rumors are about uh about the you know release date now supposedly it was supposed to come out by now and uh supposedly the uh, droid 3 is imminent so you know this it's funny because the carriers i think um have a different agenda than you and me oh what a shock they want to sell their crappy phone as long as they can. <laughs> and then, and then, oh, droidlife.com, May 11th. May 11th said HTC Merge finally launches May 12th. Well, I, uh, nine days later, do you, I, we can't find it, so I don't know what that means. Suppose, what if they launched a phone but nobody sold it? Oh, apparently the merge was delayed for the Rapture. The new HTC Rapture is going to be great. Very lightweight. 88, 88, ask Leo. It's the phone for people who don't need phones. It just floats away. John in Pasadena, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, John. Hi, Leo. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I have a question about my cable modem router. All right, hang on, because I see the magic music is telling me that I have now spoken too long and we must take a break. We will talk about cable data right after this. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. I love that bass in the background. It sounds like uh, Sugar Hill Gang. Mm. Uh, 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 uh. 88, 88, ask Leo. That's the phone number. Just before the break, I pushed the button. Oh, no, did we lose him? I think we did. Probably my fault. I apologize. Call back. We'll get you on. But meanwhile, John in Pasadena, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, John. Hey, Leo. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Out of the goodness of their heart, AT&T recently gave us a device to use here at home to uh, improve our wireless signal from AT&T. You got a microcell. Yeah, it's a microcell. Yeah. Works through your internet connection. Isn't that nice? <laughs> we'll use your Wi-Fi and still charge you for the calls. But at least the device was free, which was a, a bonus. That's nice because you, you know, normally they charge, I guess, because you have such poor service in your home. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the deal. The thing wouldn't activate at first. So AT&T, after going through all kinds of troubleshooting, pointed their finger at the uh, uh, my modem router. So I called Motorola, and they walked me through changing some settings. Uh, so that this 
you know, the, the signals from this device could pass through the... the uh, you probably had a port forward. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. But in, in the process of that, the Motorola technician had me turn off the router firewall and leave it off, which kind of concerns me. The device is- well, there is no, you know, the router is a firewall by default. Well, but the- uh, whether you have an additional firewall in the routers, you know, the, you can have additional software in the router that does things like stateful packet inspection. It looks at the data and tries to be smart about it and so forth. But really, any firewall, anything that does uh, what's called NAT routing, that is one internet address coming in and it shares it with multiple computers, and that's all routers, provide an excellent firewall because any attack comes to the public IP address, which is the router, and stops because the router's stupid. The only risk, and this is what this is what happened, is when you open ports on the router, you say, hey, if any traffic comes in on port 8088, send it to this computer. In fact, that's what the technician did. He said, if any traffic comes in on whatever the microcell port is, send it to the microcell. Now, as long as that's all he did, you're fine, because a microcell is, is even stupider than the router. Okay. So it, what you want is you want a, an attack surface. Think of yourself as sitting on the Internet. And, and in, in between you and all the bad guys out there is this dumb box called a router. Uh, all the attacks hit the router. They don't hit your computer. Your computer's too smart. If it hits the computer, the computer might do things like, oh, hi, <laughs> yeah, sure, have access to my hard drive. No problem. But the router is even stupider. It goes, yeah, I don't know what you want. I don't have a hard drive. And so it just sends it sends this stuff away. Fe- the femtocell or microcell, as ATT calls it, same thing. It, it sends this stuff away. So assuming that he only, for instance, DMZ'd or opened ports to the, the microcell, you're probably okay. That's what he did. He did the DMZ, and the NAT is still activated. That's fine. So the, Don't DMZ other computers, because then those computers are sitting naked on the net. Right. But it's a DMZ, a, a, a microcell is completely harmless, that thing. And it's AT&T's problem if it gets hacked, not yours. Okay. And as long as the, uh, the so-called firewall setting is turned off in the router, that's not an issue because that's some sort of software firewall? What, what brand? Uh, yeah, it's a software. What brand of uh, router? It's a Motorola wireless oh. modem. Yeah. Oh, it's part of your cable modem. Right. It's one device. Yeah. I don't know what what so-called firewall they put in there. The only, th- you know, you, it is a firewall. It can't not be a firewall. It could do sm- some more, it could do more uh, intelligent things. I wouldn't ask it to do that anyway. Okay. Appreciate that. And uh, just FYI, this device uh, is certainly working as advertised. We can now get Good. Uh, 3G signals all over the house. It won't yeah. send data, but it does send the voice. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, it's nice that they gave it to you. They helped you configure it. Uh, it does solve a problem. Uh, are you, is AT&T your internet service provider as well? No. No, Charter is our ISP. So watch CAPS, because if you ha- <laughs> you won't use CAPS, because you're not using, you know, voice doesn't use that much data, but you, you, you know, a Charter, my, <laughs> you're using Charter's bandwidth to do AT&T phone calls. Yeah, I don't think we're going to hit the ceiling. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I think that's actually a very good solution. Uh, and I think it's nice that AT&T gives that to you because normally they would. Uh, they were charging 200 bucks for these things, but I right. got a lot of flack for that. And uh, for people like us who live up in the hills with little or no signal, it's a, it's a real help. Yeah. If you wanted to get fancy, I, I, we'll put a link. In, there's an, uh, a link um, I'll put in the chat room, and I'll also put it in the show notes, uh, James, if you would. 
to uh, forum. And by the way, thank you, Ajeta Joey, for providing this forum.attnt.com. Uh, and it talks about if you wanted to get fancy, and it might not even be possible for your Motorola to do this, but you could, instead of DMZing it, you could port forward. So let me kind of, in simple terms, explain what's going on. The firewall is a, think of it as a brick wall between you and the outside world, or the router. That's good. Uh, it has some holes in the wall, though. Otherwise, you'd have no internet access. It has holes for web surfing and email and that kind of thing. Those are those holes are particular ports, is what we call them. You think of, you could think of a port as a hole in the wall. So port eighty, the web port, port twenty five, outbound email port, things like that. Port one ten, inbound email port. Those are open little holes, chinks in the armor, and that's good. That's appropriate. That's those should be there. They have to be, or you wouldn't be able to get online. But anything else gets blocked. Well, it turns out your microcell uses a bunch of ports. Port 123, 443, which is actually open. That's the SSL port. 4500, 500. It needs those open. So right now, the brick wall, there's a brick (laughs) blocking port 4500. So there's a couple of things you can do. He did, the engineer did the easy thing, which is tell the router, look, Take down, (laughs) Ronald Reagan said this to Gorbachev, take down this wall for the microcell only, for its particular address on the network, on the internal network. No firewall exists at all. All the ports are open. And it's not ideal, but it's certainly easy. You just flip a switch. You say DMZ. That's what it means. DMZ, demilitarized zone. It's kind of bad terminology. It essentially means don't firewall this device. The better way, although more complicated way to do this, would be to individually open holes in the wall. They call that, in most systems, port forwarding. So if something comes in over UDP port 123, which is NTP traffic, that's the time protocol, it might be open anyway, it would send it to the microcell. If something comes in over 443 TCP, actually, that's open anyway. That's always open. That's so you can do a secure HTTP browsing, so you don't have to worry about that. Really, the two that you need to open are 4500 and 500. So you could say to the Motorola router, if it allows that kind of configuration, if stuff comes on those two ports, instead of just opening the holes entirely, which is could be risky, just send that traffic alone to the microcell. That's for the microcell. Anything comes over 4500, that's a call for the microcell. And it opens up those ports, and, and that's really the safest way to do it. It doesn't open up your network in any way. It does keep the microcell protected except for those two ports. But I don't think, I think that's a finesse. I think you're fine. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. This portion of the Tech Eye Show 
Brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme, for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866, the number 2 get net To get DSL Extreme. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. Ronald in Long Beach, you're next. Hi, Ronald. Hi, Leo. You are the greatest. Do you know that? Oh, you're too kind. I'm just a guy on the radio. No, I... Uh, you recently about transferring an old 95 document file. Uh, it was my resume, and you told me how to get the converter. And it worked? And it worked. Hallelujah. On my Evo phone. So now you have a PDF of your resume, which is what you want. Absolutely, sir. Yeah. You just, I mean, you are turning the 60-year-old into uh, a young geek here. <laughs> hey, it worked for me. Well, so now how can I help you, Ronald? Okay, you can help me now by because I'm in the process of getting uh, uh, what is called the hotspot on my old uh, computer, my desktop. And I would like to know what would you suggest to be the uh, USB Wi Fi adapter in order to get the signal? Uh, And uh, if you don't mind, I don't mind leaving so I can listen intently to you from the radio. All right, I'll answer. I'll take you. You'll take your answer on the air, as they say. There you go, sir. And again, thank you. And you have a student for life. Thank you, Ronald, for your very kind words. I, I really appreciate that. So, Ronald, like a lot of phones now, Ronald's uh, smartphone uh, does. There's two ways you can get uh, internet data from your smartphone. Use the smartphone's own 3G connection or 4G connection for your computer. One is called tethering. That's taking a cable, a USB cable, out of the phone and putting it into your computer. And then you have to run some software in your computer to tell it, oh, we're tethering and, and, and so forth. The other way to do it is, is hotspot. And hotspot's so much easier uh, because it turns, and I love it, because it turns your smartphone into a Wi-Fi access spot. And most of the new smartphones will do that. Uh, remember, though, you'll be using data from your wireless connection, so it'll count against your total. If you have a 3 or 5 gigabyte per month limit, it'll count against that. So you got to be a little judicious, but it is a great way to get online when you're out in the field or out and about and your phone's online, but your computer's not. Uh, most computers, most laptops anyway, nowadays have uh, Wi-Fi built in. That's one of the reasons I like it. It's a trivial, in fact. It's, it couldn't be easier to get it to work. You just open the Wi-Fi connection on your, uh, on your laptop, and you'll see your phone, and you'll log in. Now, I do, all these phones do allow you to set a name and a password. I would suggest doing that. Use a name that is obscure. I use dead rock stars. You could use uh, Greek gods. You could use... Uh, uh, French foods, whatever you want to use. You don't want to say, you know, Leo's cell phone. <laughs> That's got to ask it for trouble. So just use, a, uh, you know, a, an obscure uh, access name, one that you know, and then absolutely turn on WPA2 networking. Almost all of them support that now and give it a password. It doesn't have to be a super good password, but it shouldn't be a dictionary word. Uh, I, I use two random words separated by a punctuation or a number, uh, and that's more than adequate. Uh, then that way your your phone is secure. It is a Wi-Fi access spot, but only you can use it, which is kind of what you want. Now, he doesn't, apparently he has a computer that doesn't have Wi-Fi built in. So there are a lot of USB Wi-Fi dongles, is what we call them. They connect to the USB port. They actually work quite well. 
uh, because the the uh, the thing that hangs off the USB connector is really an antenna, so you can kind of position it. Works sometimes a little bit better than an internal Wi-Fi uh, connection, uh, and it's certainly they're inexpensive. Linksys makes them; they're fine. In fact, really any brand name is fine. I don't I don't think there's one brand name that's better than any other. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, but you know, if you, if you want a brand name, Linksys, every store sells them. Every store sells them. Um, now, what are you going to name it? <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, Doctor Mom says her hotspot on her phone is named NSA Secure Access Point. <laughs> She's just asking for trouble, isn't she? <laughs> yeah, I like it. Actually, do you think that would scare hackers or encourage them? What's your what's your high, high hotspot uh, name? What do you use? Dook says XXXXX. Yeah, that's fine. The point is probably not to name your hotspot something highly identifiable. Leo's cell phone, bad. Uh, your street address, if you're doing it uh, at home, bad. Don't do that. Um, Kill Zone, that's a good one. Area 51, Iron Badger. Now, my uh, Why So Serious suggests, and I think this probably is a bad idea, free porn. I don't think that's a good idea. I do have to tell you, there is um, there is a, a a bug in Windows, kind of an interesting bug in Windows, uh, that allows um, people to create a phantom Wi-Fi uh, access port and, and have it propagate from Windows machine to Windows machine. So you may notice sometimes if you're checking in at an airport or a public place, um, something called free, what is it, free Wi-Fi? What is it, what is the name of the... Uh, of the one you see it everywhere, free public Wi-Fi. Thank you, Randall. Randall Schwartz, who's a security expert, by the way, and a Pearl expert, and does a show for us called Floss Weekly. Free public Wi-Fi. You might see that floating around. Uh, at when I first time I saw it, I said, "Ooh, hacker! That's a honeypot for sure. Some hacker putting out some honey, trying to lure unsuspecting people." In fact, it's probably not. It's it's a machine that is just sitting there, and you'll see when you log into it that you can't get internet access. I would, as a matter of course, probably not try to get into anything that says, hey, free porn, free public Wi-Fi, log in here, kitties, get online. Because remember, you're joining a network, and when you do that, if it's a bad guy's network, he has access to your stuff. So what you really want to do is you want to create your own. You don't want to join random open networks, and you certainly don't want to join random open networks with enticing names like free public Wi-Fi or Linksys. That's a bad one, too. Pierre, Los Angeles, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Pierre. Yeah, hi, Leo. Uh, just to let you know who you're dealing with, I've been wanting to call you for 10 years, and I just got to it. <laughs> well, it's about time. Thank you. Yeah, hi there. Listen, uh, I like to play the horses, and I go on the Internet and open up the website for a racetrack. And they have entries of the horses, you know, race by race. I have this magazine that I get monthly, uh-huh. and they got the horses listed in it. A tip sheet. Right. Is there any way I could scan that tip sheet into the computer to where it'll automatically let me know if the horse is that? That's cool. I like that idea, Pierre. Yeah. So, so you'd have you'd, what you'd do is you'd take the tip sheet. This is this just shows how antiquated the uh, tip sheet guys are because truthfully, if I were writing a tip sheet, that's exactly what I'd do. 
I'd give you, I wouldn't give you a paper sheet. I'd do it online and I'd let you download a spreadsheet or something with all the names. But you, you have an even better idea. You want to take those names and automatically flag them in the online wagering site. Uh-huh. You need to write software. This is not something that you can, there's no off-the-shelf program that would do this, unfortunately. You could scan it and then do something called OCR, optical character recognition, that might give you, depending, I bet you the tip sheets have very tiny text, probably not perfectly printed. <laughs> Somebody mimeographed it off in their garage. So I'm, sus- I'm suspicious that you'd be able to get a good OCR scan of it. But let's say you could, but all you then have is the text. So you'd need to write another program, Randall Schwartz could do it, that would go through the text, find horses' names, and then go to the website and check if, what race that horse is in, running in and what the odds are and so forth. You could totally do that. But, it's, but you know, somebody has to write that software. Randall could do that. He could probably do it in an afternoon. <laughs> he knows Pearl. So uh, sorry to be the bearer of bad tidings, Pierre. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. How can I interrupt this song? Love Willie. Oh, I love Willie. I'm sorry, I shouldn't. This isn't a music station. <laughs> Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888 Ask Leo. Let's talk about Mac Defender. Talking about the outlaws. So uh, we, we've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. Mac Defender is the first really serious attack on the Mac platform uh, ever. There have been some, but just none widespread. Mac Defender is apparently really spreading. In fact, uh, uh, I know one reporter who talked to um, an unidentified Apple tech support guy who told him that almost all the calls coming to the tech support centers now were people infected with Mac Defender and that Apple and Apple Care policy is not to fix malware on your system. I can think of a number of reasons why they wouldn't want to do that, but I, it's a shame. Um, so what, what is Mac Defender? It's a fake antivirus app. This is something we've seen for a long time on Windows, and I think one of the reasons we're starting to see attacks and we'll see more on the Mac is because Windows users have been bit so many times they've wised up. 80% of all Windows users now use firewall and antivirus software. 80%. Uh, I don't know what the number is on Mac, but it's it's well below 10%. So that means that even though fewer people use Macs, the number of undefended Macs is now about equal to the number of undefended Windows machines. It's getting close enough so that virus guys, bad guys, malware authors are saying, I think I better attack 
the Macintosh because uh, Windows, I can't get in. That's an unidentified Euro trash accent. I don't, I'm not ascribing it to any particular uh, country, Bulgaria. So this Mac Defender antivirus app looks pretty much like, um, you know, it says it's, it's the Apple Security Center. It looks pretty much like a, 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 an, you know, it says virus found, infected file detected, spyware. Uh, this system is infected. Red, big red button. Virus found, and then there's a cleanup button. And you also see a box that looks pretty Mac-ish, saying, with a control center, saying, Mac Defender is the most advanced virus and malware detection system in the world because it has the largest blah, 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 blah. It is fake. It is not an antivirus. I love this. More than one million people use Mac Defender antivirus to protect their critical information like credit card numbers, passwords, and so on. No! More than one million people use Mac Defender antivirus to steal critical information like their credit card numbers, passwords, and so on. That's what it's doing! So you'll press that cleanup button and see the Windows users know better, right? I hope. I hope Windows users are going, <laughs> don't press that button. Because if you press that button, yeah, it'll it'll gas for your credit card number. It'll download some software. You know what they've been, they've been doing lately is is saying the first two times you entered a credit card number, oh, that one's not working. Give me a different one. That way they collect all your credit cards. Oh, that's clever. So now they've got what? Your credit card number. They've got 80 bucks. And... <laughs> You're putting a virus on your system for them. It is, there's not a lot to distinguish this from real software, except as Intego, the company that discovered this, who, by the way, makes a Mac antivirus solution, that Mac in Mac Defender is spelled with upper, uppercase M-A-C. Apple does not ever spell Macintosh with uppercase letters. It's always lowercase. So that's kind of a giveaway. But, boy, that's a minor one. We we look for those things, and they should be an alarm bell, but the truth is there is no Mac Defender. It is malware. It is spreading like wildfire because Apple users have never had to worry about this stuff. So they're not educated in protection and security. They're vulnerable because, well, and let's, I mean, I, if you're a Windows user, you might even say gullible because they've never had to worry about this stuff. They're wide open. And that's why the that's why the bad guys are starting to attack the Mac. Bad news. Really bad news. I'm so sad to hear that. But it's a fact, Jack. And uh, you just, you know, just got to be aware of it. And uh, if you are a Mac user and you see this Mac Defender, don't do it. The truth is, by the time, you know, now that I'm warning you, they probably renamed it, rewritten it, made it look different anyway. That's what happens on the Windows side. It might now be called Apple Antivirus 2011. You know, these guys, are they move fast. As soon as word goes out, there is such a thing as Mac Defender. And it's been three weeks now. They're going to rename it, change it. So here's the deal. Always, Mac, Windows, Linux, be suspicious. If anybody pops up something on your screen that says, you've got a virus, download our protection. Whether they ask for money or not. Because what bad guys need to do to infect your system is they need to get you to run software on your system. They need to get you to run their malware applications. And, and, and you know, Apple's, uh, Apple's own protection, will before you can install this, will say, well, do you want to install this? What's your password? But you see, the, the recommendation that some security experts are giving is um, 
don't you know if if so, don't ever install software that asks you. But it, all software is going to do that, and you think you're installing it. You know, they say don't install software you didn't want to install, but you do want to install this because you believed it because it's social. It's what we call social engineering. They tricked you. They tricked you. So uh, Mac, Windows, Linux, whatever. If something pops up and says download me, install me, run me, don't. I should I should probably do a nod thirty two. Should I do a nod thirty two ad here? <laughs> Seems pretty appropriate. <laughs> Eset dot com. Uh, that's the name. Uh, Eset makes a great antivirus product for both Mac and Windows. Uh, cybersecurity for the Mac and nod thirty two for Windows. You've heard me talk about nod thirty two for years. Cybersecurity for the Mac is a new product just in the nick of time. And you know what they did, which I think is great. I hope they do this on the Windows side. There's a whole educational component built in. So you learn what not to do, because really what you do and don't do is is very important. It's as important as the software. ESET, cybersecurity for the Mac. It's just as fast and lightweight as the Windows version. Available at Micro Center, Fry's, and of course, Apple stores nationwide. Look for it there, or call 866-935-ESET, or try it free for 30 days at ESET.com slash Mac. ESET.com slash Mac. For Windows users, ESET.com slash Leo. You know this is the antivirus I use. I recommend Mac and Windows. Do yourself a favor. And by the way, don't forget to like ESET USA on Facebook to stay looped in on contests, specials, offers, and uh, exclusive content. I just It's sad. It's kind of the age of end of the age of innocence for Mac users, isn't it? Doug in West Covina, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Doug. Hi, Leo. I've listened to you for years, and I've never heard you talk about boot camp on Mac. Oh, I loves it. I have it, I found out. Yeah. I need it, but I don't know anything about it. So there are two ways to run Windows on modern Macintosh hardware. One is in virtualization, using a program uh, like VirtualBox, VMware Fusion, Parallels. These are programs you install run, and then it'll open up a little black box and says, install your operating system, you'll install Windows, and now Windows is a window within the Macintosh. That's called virtualization. That, for most people, is sufficient um, because you don't have to reboot or anything. But if you want to run Windows at full speed, Apple offers a solution that basically turns that Mac into a Windows machine. It will install Windows. on. It takes your hard drive, divides it into two sections, two partitions. One, one has Mac OS X on it. The other one has Windows on it. And when you start the machine, you can hold down the option key and have the choice. You can say, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to be a Windows machine or a Mac machine? Now, remember, when you're doing that, uh, you're running Windows and just Windows. You don't have access to the Mac side at all. But it is full-speed Windows. It's using every bit of all the hardware for Windows. So it really works well. I, now, I do both. So when I get a machine, you, could, you, know, you need an extra space on the hard drive, 10, maybe 20 gigs of extra space. I usually put Boot Camp on, install Windows 7, and then when I'm in the Macintosh, I run. I use a program called VMware Fusion. When you run it, it says, oh, you want to use the Boot Camp partition as your Windows? And you say yes. Now I can run Windows either way, both in virtualization or as a standalone full version of Windows. It doesn't take up any extra space. I just have the choice. So that's a good way to go if you, if you need Windows. Well, I bought a, a architectural program. That- yes, this is the case. So sometimes you'll be programs that will only, you know, AutoCAD or whatever, only runs on Windows. This is, and if it's if it's a CAD program, it probably needs every bit of CPU power, all the RAM, in which case Boot Camp would be a good choice. Same thing for games. And most Macs, believe it or not, are very good Windows machines. 
You know, they're, they're, they're very, very similar to a standard PC, just more expensive. <laughs> hey, thanks for the call, Doug. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More to come. Good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy, talking about tech. Not just to computer stuff or internet stuff, but cell phones and home theater. And all the stuff, you know, that's changing our lives. Anything with a chip in it. And I invite you to join me on this conversation, on this trip. 888. Toll free. 888-827-5536. That's 8888-ASK-LEO. 8888-ASK-LEO. And if you're outside the U.S., you can call uh, from Skype out and you get the same thing. Free. 8888-ASK-LEO. Can you remember that? <laughs> Let's go to David in Philadelphia. Hi, David. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Yes, hi. Uh, people keep calling you about using Verizon globally. Um, they will lend you a global phone for 30 days. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, you know, they port your regular phone number. That's great. I didn't know that. At, at no charge? At no, no charge. They they charge uh, $10 to ship it to you. And then like for $6, you can get the special international plan where you save, you know, 29 cents a minute. Or- oh, that's great. See, Verizon's at a little disadvantage, as is Sprint, because the technology they use for their network, CDMA, yeah. uh, is really only used in a few nations around the world. Almost everybody else uses GSM. That's what T-Mobile and AT&T use. But there so is one. If you do, so if you, could, you can buy world phones, of course, from any company, including Verizon. They have a handful of them. But that's nice. I didn't know that you could, they would lend you one free. That's fantastic. One free, but you have to return it within 30 days or they'll charge you $200. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, you, you know, most yeah, people don't go away for more than 30 days. They send you a, a prepaid FedEx thing, so you just, you know, return it. But, I mean, you know, I, when I go to Europe, it's great to use it for... That's that's a great tip. I appreciate it. What kind of phone do they send you? It's, it's one. It's usually a, it's one of their global phones. It's like a Motorola or something. You, you can't... I don't think you can do data, but you can do... It's not a smartphone. It's it's just a phone phone. Yeah, but, but you yeah. can use... You can text, like, for five cents and... 50, I don't know, 50 cents to text and 5 cents to receive or something. That's good because, frankly, I'd prefer to text uh, if I'm overseas with people at home. Right. Yeah. It saves money. It saves time. Yeah. And it's instant. It's just, you know, it, I mean, I love texting from overseas, but it can be very expensive if you don't have an international data plan. Yeah. I mean, I still would recommend, if you do do a lot of travel, I still would recommend, uh, you know, because you want to keep your phone. And and so there's something, I mean, especially a, a smartphone. I, I tell you, going to an international uh, destination and having Google Maps available so you can find your way around, having the Zagat Guide available so you can find a great restaurant or Yelp or whatever, you know, there are international versions of all of these, and it's really nice to have. 
On the other hand, if you you know you you're a Verizon customer and you gotta you know you gotta go to Germany, it's nice to be able. I'm glad to know. So thank you for the tip, David. Yeah. Okay. Got because I know people keep calling you about it and you never. Yeah, I didn't know that. Did it tell you? <laughs> I didn't know that. Thank you. Okay. Right. Bye. Take care. Bye bye. That's great. I do appreciate it. any corrections or additions you can make. Uh, that's how the database of knowledge expands. We all have to help each other. Eighty-eight. Eighty-eight. Ask. Leo, that's the number. I travel enough that it's worth it for me to have a GSM phone. I do a number of different things. For instance, I have a GSM unlocked cheap Nokia GSM phone that I bought online. Unlocked means it doesn't come from an individual carrier. It's just a, a, a phone. And the reason I have that is if you're going to go to a country and you want to make local calls for free or inexpensively, I guess it's not free, it's always some minutes, uh, you can get to a country, let's say you're going to Germany, we take this phone with you, go to the post office, or uh, sometimes you can go to a tobacconist or drugstore. Uh, you certainly can go to a uh, cell phone store, company store, and you buy a SIM card, which is just a little chip. This is how GSM phones identify themselves. You buy this little chip, you pop it in the uh, unlocked GSM phone, suddenly that phone has a local number and a certain number of minutes. Might even have data and texting. That's handy in some cases. Now, if you're expecting people to call from the U.S., it's hard for them to call an international number. It's a lot of digits and it's confusing. For that reason, you might want to keep your U.S. phone as well because that number continues to work. They can call you as if you're home. In fact, sometimes they do. (laughs) and They start chatting and you have to say, hey, it's 4 a.m. and I'm in Berlin. Can we talk later? Because this is costing me a lot of money. Stella in uh, Los Angeles, you're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Stella. Hi, awesome to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Okay, um, you're the guy to answer this because uh, I work over at appdvice.com. I'm one of the staff writers. And we hey, were all that's neat. Chat. Oh, I love it. The ultimate job. You know, we're paid to play and, and write about it. So Yeah, no kidding. We're, so is it one of them virtual websites where everybody works in a different place? Yes, that is. Isn't yeah. that amazing? Have, so you can work at home. You can... Europe, yeah. yeah, I love that. You can have a job, and but still uh, have a life. Exactly. And, oh, we all have different interests. So, you know, you're finding all kinds of great stories, and it's just great. We hang out on Campfire Chat. and oh, um, fun. <laughs> and so one of the questions... AppAdvice.com. Yes, AppAdvice.com. And uh, there's a few, there's over a dozen writers and a lot of, a lot of good, fun people. They're, they're great people. So... Uh, I visited anyway. the site frequently. In fact, I have. I th- I think you have an iPhone app. Do you not? Oh yes, we do. <laughs> and I have that iPhone app. It's a great way to find new apps. I'm always looking for new apps. Yeah, I also have two uh, podcasts. One would be App Advice Daily. The other one is um, App Advice Live, and we just do those for fun. But um, anyway, oh, that's I'm awesome. <laughs> that's great. But here's the question: Something. One of the other writers has a 15 year old daughter who is not eligible for a phone upgrade. She is with AT&T, does not have a smartphone. Her boyfriend gave her an either uh, second or third generation iPhone. She took the chip, popped it in, says she turned off the data but can still text and use it as a phone without having to have a data plan. True or false? That's right. Really? That's awesome. (laughs) So so AT&T isn't going to come and say, I want to, you have to buy this data plan. Well, they... I can't promise they won't. Uh, they can tell it's an iPhone, but you're using it just as a you would a standard feature phone. Awesome. And I think, yeah, I think that's fine. I don't think AT and T would have an issue uh, with that because um, you're not using the data. 
Yeah, because they well, and they have the uh, they have the limited family text plan anyway. Right. Oh, so it doesn't even cost them for text. Hey, let me ask no. the chat room. anybody anybody know of any issue with that? I know. I mean, it's working, right? Yeah, it is. It's working. Yeah, just was I know. Sometimes you could have issues. <laughs> this phone was already activated. For instance, you couldn't take a brand new phone and do that because you couldn't activate it. Yeah, exactly. That was what I was thinking. They won't even let you out the store without activating it. Exactly, and that's why. But that phone was already activated. You took the SIM out. You're using uh-huh. it as a feature phone. I'm sure AT&T can see the signature that, oh, they're using an iPhone. And in theory, they could say, hey, hey kid, got to buy the data plan. But I, I would, you know, as long as you don't ever use any data, I think you're all right. Excellent. And well, eventually you may get a letter from AT&T says, we notice you're using an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully by then the iPhone 5 will be out and she'll be eligible for an upgrade because I think that's exactly. what she's holding on. Well, yeah, so, I think by September we'll see an iPhone 5. She's smart to hold that. Yeah, oh, I agree. AppAdvice.com. Yep. And Stella, do you have a byline on there? Uh, Stella Villalano. I tend to write more on the um, apps that help people out. Like there's a great new diabetes app that I just reviewed that's actually fun to add your diabetes numbers into. Um, and then other people follow the gaming. There's a lot of different interests going on. So very busy. That's what you things. need. That's what you oh, need. Yeah. I, I this is I think uh, I've used App Advice for some time. I use your app and uh, and it just really scrapes the site. So I've I've done a lot of reading on App Advice. I'll look for your uh, I'll awesome. look for your your byline. Thank you, Stella. Well, thanks. Great to talk to you. Okay, appreciate it. Yeah. Now the chat room the chat room is saying that oh they may catch you. They apparently do from time to time. You know the, what they can do is they can ask the phone. What's your IMEI? That's the uh, unique identifier. And if they ask the phone what the IMEI is, they'll know it's an iPhone. And they may well, at that point, either send you a letter or, if they're really nasty, start charging you. I don't think they will. But keep an eye on your bill, just in case. Leo Laporte, VTech Guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 88. 88. Rockin' Leo. No, I added that part. 8888-ASK-LEO is the phone number. If you have a question or comment or suggestion, and that phone number and everything I talk about is available on the website, techguylabs.com. Techguylabs.com. Thanks to James DeRuvo, who puts all that stuff up there. We really appreciate it. It's hard work. Uh, Dennis in Santa Clarita, you're next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, Dennis. Leo, God, it's really nice talking with you. I've tried Thank a lot you. of so I'm amazed that I got you. Yeah, it's not easy, <laughs> I gotta say. Uh, uh, I appreciate your persistence. Thank you. I've got a thing that, that has happened to me once or twice before, and I could never figure it out. I got an email with a picture, and I, I really like the picture, so... I forwarded it to somebody, uh, some of my friends, and when I forwarded it, the picture was on the, you know, on my email. The person I sent it to it, uh, sent it to, forwarded back to to many of his friends, and I was on a back copy, 
But when I got it, I got what looks like just nothing but HTML, no pictures. Yeah, that's uh, probably uh, one or the other of you is using America Online, maybe? Uh, no, no, no. No? Okay. Um, um, it's because different email programs handle, this is called an inline image, handle inline images differently. AOL is notorious for this. So Outlook, which is, I guess, what you're using is Outlook? No, no, I'm using Gmail. Gmail. Okay, so you're on the web. Yeah. So, so uh, Gmail, of course, uh, is handles inline images. You have that little button that says load images. They're smart to do that, by the way. You don't want to default load images because uh, images are used by bad guys to infect your system if they can. It's also used by spammers to verify that the email they sent was correct, that kind of thing. So not loading images is a prudent precaution. That's what Gmail does. But if you press the load images button, you'll see an inline uh, image. But inline images are not uh, part of the email standard. Traditional, plain vanilla email, all images are attachments. Plain vanilla email is text, 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 with a, an attachment in, in something called MIME format, multimedia email extensions. Those MIME format files are specially encoded. And then your email program is is entrusted with the task of making them available, usually by clicking them and downloading them. So that's the old, you probably remember, that's the old way we did things before webmail and, and smart email packages. It would come as an attachment. So what's happening is one of your correspondence uh, uh, email program doesn't understand inline attachments. And so it says, I see a bunch of HTML, that's text, so it kind of understands that. And then, but there, where's the mime attachment? I don't understand what's going on, and it just it just fails in an ugly fashion. Is there is there any way I can uh, transfer it back? Um, no. What I would suggest, if you want to make sure the image gets through, is instead of depending on inline attachments, which is what happens when you just forward it, you forward the mail as if it were, you know, just we're going to send it on to somebody else in the inline attachment goes along with it if if you don't if you have somebody who doesn't handle inline attachments properly what you should do is say and this is a pain is save the image out and attach it to the email in fact best yet the most the guaranteed way to get it through is save the image out zip it into one file maybe multiple images in one file and then attach it and then everybody, no matter how primitive or old-fashioned their program is, will get the attachment. Un by zipping it, you're kind of protecting its integrity. They'll run their unzip program against it, and then they will have the exact image. But it's a pain because, you know, first of all, they don't just see it in the email. A lot of times you get email attachments that have text, picture, text, picture, text, picture, you know, and uh, it's a joke. I personally, I hate those. <laughs> I don't want them. So, uh my father-in-law sends me a lot. Of, I don't want them. But, uh, but uh, so that kind of ruins that nice flow. Yeah. But uh, that's, if, if you've obviously got one correspondent who probably is not, uh, is, just doesn't have an up-to-date email program. If you could talk them into going to Gmail, that would solve that. Oh, but the thing that was curious to me is when I, when I sent it out and I looked at my uh, sent mail, and the sent mail, I looked at it one time, and it was a picture. I went away, right. and I came back, and I looked at it again because I received it. 
And when I look at it again, I see this HTML instead of my picture. Hmm. What I sent out. Oh, yeah, I remember that one of the things Gmail does is it uh, threads your email. And I, I wonder if in the threading process it attached the messed up inline image to the original and there, thereby screwing it up. Um, the, the, the only guarantee that this is going to work is by forwarding your mails and using attachments, preferably zipped. Um, inline images, while supported by all modern email programs, is, is not actually part of the email spec. I think that's going to change. But it currently is kind of something that you have to trust that the other guy will do properly. My, you know, my and Kevin in the chat room and others are suggesting well, something I've suggested for a long time. I don't like attachments, as you know. Attachments are the way uh, viruses get spread. So, for instance, a couple of years ago, uh, the Anna Kornikova virus. Uh, it was an email from your friends. It said, hey, I got these great pictures of Anna Kornikova, the beautiful tennis player. And it was as, it was a file that looked like a JPEG, but in fact it was JPEG.exe. You'd double click it to see Anna, and what would happen is you'd be double clicking and running a virus. Now the good news is in modern, uh, you know, operating systems, modern versions of Windows and modern email programs, this couldn't happen. The email program wouldn't let you do it, and then Windows would say, "Hey, you sh- this is an application. You want to run it? You'd have to enter, you know, click OK to continue that kind of thing." It they've come up with ways to stop this cold. Um, but it is kind of inherently dangerous to attach files, and I, I like to discourage that. So in general, what I would like to see people do, and this requires a little more expertise again, is have that image on something like Flickr or some other photo-sharing site and send a link. Much safer. Much safer. Inline images are kind of a notorious problem, and I, I'm sorry I don't have a really good solution for you, Dennis, um, but that's, that's still kind of the way it is. Don Laguna Niguel, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Don. Hey, Leo. How are you? It's a beautiful day down in South Orange County, I'll tell you. Uh, summer's finally coming. Yeah, I hope so. We had a little yeah, bit of rain, I, but now we're... Yeah, we had a late winter here in uh, California. Yeah. Listen, I got a really quick question for you, and it's, maybe it's easy for you, but I'm, I'm, I'm in a quandary in regard to uh, whenever I have a PC... And I run for my business, and every time, about every day, I get. Uh, I heard you talking earlier about not downloading certain things, and Good. about every day I get a a, a, a Windows uh, response to say updates for Windows, and I also get uh, like updates for uh, Adobe Acrobat and all these updates. Yeah, yeah, you shouldn't get them every day. Windows only updates monthly. What's probably happening is you haven't applied them. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by High-Speed Internet from DSL Extreme, my internet service provider for high-speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866, the number 2, get net. To get DSL Extreme, Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. So uh, our last caller, I had, to, I had to run. I didn't have a whole lot of time. Uh, but our last caller um, was asking, um, what was he asking? <laughs> no, I, I know I wanted to talk more about it. Chat room. This is where I use my brain. I've externalized it, you know. You could tell, can't you? It ain't in here anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, we were talking about, oh, yeah, updates. Thank you. Father Dan, I appreciate them. Uh, our last caller said he's getting updates every day. And I, uh, you know, my initial reaction well, was Windows, uh, Microsoft only updates Windows every month on the second Tuesday of every month. But, you know, there could be, these could be uh, Microsoft Defender updates or uh, Security Essential updates. It could be any virus updates. They may come in every few days or even every day if there's a lot of them out there. Those are updated as needed so that you're prepared for the latest viruses. And since viruses come out all the time, they update those more often. Do apply those. My suggestion is turn on automatic updates so that it happens automatically. Now, you absolutely want to do the updates for third-party software, particularly Adobe software like Acrobat or Flash. Uh, Adobe said, we're going to go to, what was it, a quarterly update cycle? And right after they said that, they got hacked about 800 times. There were, <laughs> there were all these flaws, and they had, to, they had to backpedal and start updating a lot more often. Um, Look, the, the the rule is simple. You sh- if there is a serious security flaw in your software, uh, you should update it. You should offer an update. And it's a problem for third-party companies because while Microsoft has built in this auto-update uh, feature in Windows, there is no kind of auto-update for programs. It's kind of up to the individual user to go out and check from time to time. Adobe does have an updater, but... What's happened is because virus authors know that Windows is getting updated. Windows users are learning. They're fixing their systems. They're running antivirus software. Lately, most of the attacks have happened not through Windows itself, but through third-party software like that. And as a result, uh, you know, it becomes much more important that you update Acrobat, that you update Flash, uh, because that's where you're going to get the viruses. So do absolutely. If Adobe says, I have an update, run it. And I know it's a pain, but run it. You need to do those updates. And uh, uh, if possible, you know, it's interesting what Apple's done, and I have mixed feelings about this, but they've created an app store for their OS X operating system, uh, very much like the app store they have for uh, the iPhone. And the app store does the same thing that the iPhone app store does. It notifies you when there are updates. And... uh, you know, the, the, the icon gets a little red number, and it makes updates much more simple. So it really does encourage people to buy their apps through the App Store on OS X. Microsoft has already indicated this will probably be a feature of Windows 8. And and there's a good reason. You know, if you, if you do have a centralized app purchase and download service, uh, you can also have a centralized app update service. And we need it. We need it. That's for sure. Carol in Orlando, Florida. Hi, Carol. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo. How are you? Very well. Thank you. Good to talk to you. I have a dilemma. I'm trying to help my sister with the home network. Um, It's long-distance help. She's in another state. 
Um, it seems to be a common problem. People running Windows 7 and having USB printers um, seem to frequently get the status offline. Um, she's on a, a small network, a Netgear router. Um, she does have a print server, but not everyone having this problem has a print server and two USB printers attached. Um, we so uh, the issue is not that she can't print from the local printer. It's using that printer as a shared printer over the network. It's not. Print from an XP machine just fine. If she, if she brings up her old laptop or her desktop with running XP, everything works perfectly. And the Windows 7 machine worked fine the first day we installed everything, and then the next day it set offline. We reinstalled everything, and it would print one or two times, and then it would be offline again. Ah, that's very frustrating. And nobody out there seems to have an answer. And is it any particular brand of printer that this is? No, she's got a Canon Pixma and an HP 5700 series. And so other it sounds like then it's more of a Windows 7 problem than it is a printer problem. Correct. And when you uninstall, you remove the print spooler and everything, and you're starting from scratch, and it works, and then boom, it stops working. Yes, and we don't want to uninstall and reinstall every time she wants to print something. Yeah. Mm, I'm, yeah, and I, as you say, I'm seeing a lot of um, issues on the net. Pro. Yeah. It's uh, my, you know, just looking at it, um, my guess is that this is a f kind of a fragile system on Windows. You know, the mix of USB printer sharing and networking is nasty. <laughs> and that some somehow in Windows 7, it's just... It, now, it may not be Windows 7. It might be that machine specifically. You don't disconnect the printer from any individual machine, right? It stays connected and on and all that. It's connected to the print server, to the router. It's a wireless router, too. Yeah. I, and I can tell you've done all the research. Yeah, there's other configurations out there having the same problem. So it's not just the print server. It's not just the router. Um, it seems to be happening in a lot of different configurations. You know, somebody in the chat room has sent me a link to a Microsoft Knowledge Base article that is probably not germane but gives you an idea of how complicated this could be. The print queue status is displayed as offline on a Windows Server 2003-based print server if SNMP is enabled, that's the network management protocol, is enabled, and the printer devices do not respond to the SNMP commands. Now, I don't think this is your situation, but it just gives you an example of how hairy and complex this, this is. Because you have interlocking uh, technologies, uh, and you know they're basically not, they're not working well to, with each other. No, they're not. What, print server, what, is, what is the print server she's using? It's a trend net. I don't know the model number offhand. I'm wondering if that uh, could be the issue. But other people it, using a print server and are still having the same problem. Right. Well, it, there's no guarantee that your problem or your sister's problem is the same as the other people's problems. There are many problems. <laughs> 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 there, are, there are problems galore. Um, so um, the trend net might be, might be uh, an issue. I would make sure you have the latest firmware for the trend net, that it's compatible with Windows 7. Okay. Uh, certainly go to TrendNet's site and see if they have an update, firmware update for that server. It could very well be that that's the uh, issue. Okay. And you can see, I mean, what I that little note showed you how it could just be a command was sent to the printer that the printer didn't understand, and so Windows said, well, a printer mustn't be online. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you're using the appropriate drivers, a 64-bit driver on 7 and a 32-bit driver on XP and all of that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there could be so many things. I wish I could be more helpful to you, Carol. But okay. I, 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 this, is, this is one of those things where you've got USB, you've got printer sharing, you've got a, a print server that's made by a third party. It's a house of cards. <laughs> it all, you know, you're going to have to keep banging on it and, uh, and hope you can fix it. And when you do, I would post on those forums, hey, this was my setup. This is what worked for me because that's inevitably what happens. So a number of people are saying install Service Pack 1 for Windows 7. I don't know if that fixes it, but certainly you should be completely up to date on all of your versions of Windows. I'd expect you are. Um. You might try eliminating the print server, let Microsoft share those printers directly through a computer. You might um, try a static IP address for the print server. A number of people are saying that. I'm looking at the chat room. They have lots and lots of ideas. And we'll put a lot of those in the show notes. TechGuyLabs.com so that you can refer to them. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. isn't it this is going to be it isn't it i guess i don't have to do a show tomorrow oh no i'll be here leo laporte <laughs> LaPor- the tech guy eighty-eight eighty-eight. ask leo that's the phone number always at this time of day we say hello to our friend dick Bartolo for many years mad magazine's maddest writer but we like to call him the gizwiz because he's such a fan of gizmos and gadgets and wild stuff and today the gizwiz is wearing the Gizwiz hard hat. Well, we're going to be taping at six. So, oh, you never case. know. Yeah, I think it happens. Yep. Uh, it happens to you first, doesn't it? Or is it? Yeah, yeah. I can. T- I can. You know, I can do a live report. It'll be brief. <laughs> There's a there, the Engadget website. We're talking, of course, about um, the predicted end of the world, the rapture, which is supposedly at six o'clock tonight and uh, Eastern. Is that Eastern, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I'm yeah. assuming. Yeah. We yes. don't, we're not experts on this, but uh, there's a, a website. I think it's, it was Engadget or Gizmodo that suggested people punk the rapture by taking old clothes and uh, and uh, old wristwatches and eyeglasses or whatever and just lying them out on the on the stairs as if you just disappeared <laughs> and oh, leave them around okay. town. So if you see that, don't necessarily assume it could just be somebody punking you. Oh, okay. Just so as you know. So, Dick, let's talk about your gadget of the week. Well, you know what, last Leo, chance. You have one of the, you have one of these. I have one of these. So, I thought we'd talk about the iWow 3D. I thought this was, you know, I've seen so many of these, and and they seem gimmicky, and this one actually seems to do something. I know it's from SRS Labs, and they do all sorts of uh, equalizer things, and I love their my volume that keeps the volume of uh, TV shows, even with the commercials. Uh, so this newest guy, it's just for uh, Apple products. And the, yeah, uh, the 30 needs a 30 pin connector that comes on an iPod or an iPod touch or an iPad. 
Exactly. And, and you plug it in there and it has your headphone jack on it. So the headphone jack uh, on your iPhone or iPod or whatever is, is still free. And then it only has one single button. Uh, you either push the button and it lights up and the iWow 3D is in the system, but it makes an amazing difference. And, you know, early on, someone said the reason they everything from them has the, the word wow in it is because when you push the button, people go, wow. wow. Are these, wow. Is this the same SRS labs that does the SRS sound in the movie theaters? Yes. Okay. It is. So they know sound. Yeah. They're kind of a competitor like, to Dolby or a THX, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, they enhance sound uh, in every form. And then you, you you should download a little app that come. And as a matter of fact, when you first plug the iWow 3D into your uh, iPhone, or in my case, the uh, iPod Touch, uh, a little window comes up and says, this requires an app. Would you like to download it now? And you download it. And it's, it's not a, comp a complete graphic equalizer. It'll tell you... You can turn wide sound on or off. You can boost bass uh, on or off or boost treble on or off. And a second screen is what you have plugged into the iWow 3D. Now, I have to say, uh, now, uh, I've, I'm a, kind of an audiophile, so I, I've, I recognize, yes. <laughs> so I recognize what it's doing. The first thing it's doing is loudness, which is... Something you, if you had an old stereo receiver, you probably had a loudness switch on it. It turns up the high end and the low end, puts a little bump in there. And it, and it does make it sound better. It does make yes. it sound better. But then there is this other thing they're doing, which I think is a little more sophisticated, which is it kind of opens it up in, into this kind of wide 3D. The sound seems to move out. Yes, it does. It's kind of amazing. And it really and, does sound better. When I better. took it off, my ears were... Uh, way far from my head. You still have that kind of a Dumbo look. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. That has nothing to do with iWow. I was born that way. <laughs> well, now, it, it, it's 50 bucks for just the uh, little adapter, but if you want, there's a kit that's, uh, depending on where you buy it, 20 to $30 more. That includes uh, a pretty decent pair of headphones and some little snap-on covers that match many of the, the uh, colors that iPod cases are available in. Uh, but most geeky people already have their own favorite headphones, so it'll work with whatever you have now. Very, but very you don't want to use it with the little with the little earbuds that come with the no. uh, iPhone. It is a it'll, it's a little pricey, uh, but I can vouch for that you do hear a difference. It would be great, yeah. I think, if you could. Maybe the Apple Store sells them. If you could go listen to them and see if this is the sound difference you want. But it definitely, besides loudness, which you could do in an equalizer, it definitely is doing some sort of signal processing, which seems to open the sound stage up uh, a little bit, so you, it sounds more full. And I really do like the sound of it. I could see getting hooked on it very easily. Yeah, and you know, it, it's relatively new. My guess is when it's really in wide distribution, uh, they'll probably be people discounting it more. Absolutely. But yeah, it's fun. Dick does a daily, uh, weekly show with us. It's actually really just weekly. We call it daily just to make him happy. Uh, called oh, the Weekly Daily Gizwiz. <laughs> the crumbs. The, the crumbs. crumbs. We pretend it's still daily. We don't tell him. It's just one show. Uh, and you can hear that. We're going to do it right after the radio show at live.twit.tv or just subscribe to... TWIT.TV slash DGW. 
And Leo, if if it goes off at six, we love our fans. We love it's the great Twitch knowing family. you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> I won't I be, here. Not be here. <laughs> hey, Dick, if you do get picked up by the Rapture, will the mustache be left behind? Um, you know what? That's a good question. I hope so. It'd be I kind of so. funny to see shirt, shoes, pants, and then and then a handlebar mustache. No, what about the mayor? When they asked the mayor about what if the rapture hits New York City, uh, he said, well, you know what? We'll suspend alternate side of the street park. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big deal in New York. Yeah, it yeah, is. That's a it big takes deal. takes a rapture to suspend it. That's how big it is. <laughs> Dick, we'll, we'll talk to you in a few minutes. I'll be here. Now, let me talk a little bit about something near and dear to my heart. It's called Carbonite Online Backup, and then we'll get back and take a, at least one more call before the show ends. Carbonite is a backup done right, automatic to the cloud, up to the internet where your your data is safe and accessible anytime. You log on to any computer, even a smartphone, an iPhone, an app, uh, or there's an Android app, there's a BlackBerry app, and there's your stuff. So it's really like having your stuff available to you everywhere you go. But most importantly, when you lose your hard drive, and eventually all hard drives die, or you lose your laptop, so many get lost or stolen every year, or... Maybe there's just, you know, you accidentally throw out a file. That probably is the most likely thing. You can get it back. And think about all the precious data on your hard drive. Well, all of it's safe as houses with Carbonite.com. Unlimited backup for all the personal files on your internal drive. Just $59 a year. Less than 5 bucks a month. But you could try it free for the next two weeks with my name, Leo. Go to Carbonite.com, C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E.com for Mac or PC. Use your offer code Leo. See how you like it. You do have to have high-speed internet for this to work. And if you do, then uh, sign up for the 12-year subscription for 59 bucks and get 14 months. Two months free when you use my name, Leo. you got to back it up to get it back, so do it right. With Carbonite. Carbonite.com. The offer code is Leo. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Nicole's been hanging on the longest in Riverside. Hi, Nicole. Hi, how are you? Wonderful. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you? Well, I'm calling for a couple of reasons. First, I wanted to um, respond to the lady you had on earlier. She uh, said her daughter had AT&T and she wasn't eligible for an upgrade. And uh, Yeah, she wanted to use the iPhone, but not use it as an iPhone. Not Just use it as a standard feature phone. What's going to happen to her? Absolutely nothing. The only way we do, um, AT&T does have access to the phone signature, so we would know that she's using You would know from the IMEI that it was an iPhone. The, well, the only way we see the IMEI is if she comes into an AT&T oh. and says, I want to register this phone under my Okay. That's so if she just uses it as a GSM phone uh, without the data, she can't turn on data, of course. Well, she could, but of course she would get charges for it, and it would be uh-huh. ridiculous. So they're expensive if you don't have a data plan, so don't turn on the data. Yeah, but the, the key is, is that she does not want to turn off the internet. Because if she turns off the internet, she won't be able to send picture messages. MMS will not work. Okay. Right. Got it. She could send regular text messages, but not the media messages. Well, thank you for letting me know. I know you're not speaking officially for AT&T, but you happen to know how it works because you work there. Absolutely. And then there's another thing. If um, you're not eligible for an upgrade and you come into the store and your phone's broken, what we what we can do for them and what I've done it it hundreds of times, we... um, Tell them to purchase a Go phone, which are prepaid phones, and um, they're like anywhere from ten to a hundred dollars. And um, you buy one of those, you buy a five dollar um, card for it, 
and yeah. you just put your SIM card in it. So it would cost you anywhere from fifteen to a hundred and five dollars. Brilliant, brilliant, Nicole. Another way to use an inex- an inexpensive phone for the next few months till the new iPhone comes out. Thank you. Hey, I'm Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. Have a great Geek Week.